What's up, everyone? This is episode number 82 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. My Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. And before I get going, I want to take a moment to say one thing that's been on my mind some this week. Um, I consume hobby content in a number of different places. You've got Reddit, you've got Blowout, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I'm probably missing something. But all over, well, not all over, but I'm seeing it sprinkled throughout some of these places. There's a lot of um, this ain't even a hobby anymore type rhetoric out there. And I understand it to some extent. This has been a wild year. People are frustrated. Things have changed. But let's put the kibosh on that right now. Uh, You guys are listening to this show today. I appreciate that. I figure you're like me and that I'm a firm believer that this hobby is what you make it. I'm having a blast right now. I know a lot of you are too. Um, You know, I'm excited to bring you 25, 30, you know, whatever this ends up being minutes of hobby content. So if you love this hobby and you see similar sentiment out there right now, the whole, you know, this ain't a real hobby anymore type thing, be ambassadors to those around you. Give people up close and personal models of just how much fun this thing can be. All right, now that that's out of the way, I've got two main segments for you today. In the first one, I'm going to talk about a couple of mail days, and then I'm going to close this episode out by talking about my experience as a customer at a 100-table card show this past weekend. So let's start off with mail. I've got a good mail day, and then I've got a disappointing mail day. So I'll start with the good. About a week ago, I received a nice stack of uh, 1961 Fleer Commons from a listener named Scott. That was awesome. You know, I really enjoyed going through those. I'm super appreciative of that. He sent me some nice stuff before, so thank you once again. That was awesome. Um, And I know I've talked about before about how I like mail days or purchases that I can enjoy multiple times over. Well, that was one of them, and that's not even the mail day that I came here to talk about. Um, What I did when I got that stack almost immediately, I pulled out a handful of guys that I knew were good signers in the mail. And you might have seen it. I posted a a picture of these on my social media. It included uh, Bobby Leonard, Slick Leonard, um, Lenny Wilkins, Bob Cousy, Bailey Howell, and Cliff Hagen. Anyway, I wrote all of them um, separately. I wrote them a nice little letter. I mailed those off a little over a week ago. And the first one of them finally came back as part of Tuesday's mail, and it was Bobby Leonard. Um, And Pacers fans should know him well. Okay, some of you might not know him, but he was a Pacers coach for all three ABA championships. He was a longtime radio guy. At one point, him and his wife practically saved the franchise. So I sent this card to him. He was on the Chicago Packers in this card, and um, he signed it for me in blue Sharpie, and it really pops. And I was very happy to get this one back. I'll also say um, I've had a short conversation with him on the phone since then. Right now we're working out schedules, but it looks like he could be a guest on an upcoming episode. I don't want to count my chickens before they hatch, though, so we'll see. Um, The second mail day was uh, not exciting at all, although there was a lot of anticipation that led up to it. It was a 2018-2019 
Optic Gold Aaron Holiday that I bought raw from Probstein. And I know a lot of you are going to stop me there and say, well, that was your problem. Don't buy raw cards from Probstein. But I've done that many times before and never had a problem. So I guess the the um, the odds were evening out this time, or the percentages. So um, I take this card out of the top loader, and there's a pretty substantial printing error on the surface. It's like a fingernail imprint. I, I've seen it on um, cards I pulled from packs before. I saw a lot of it on Mosaic, actually. And the top loader didn't have the same damage. It was packaged really well. I looked on the listing again. No mention of the damage. It's not visible in the picture at all. So I was pretty bummed out about this. And um, I actually asked a couple people for advice. Because it wasn't one where I automatically thought, you know, I have to return this. Because there was still a part of me that said, you know what, I really want this card. So I had several people tell me, you know, you've got to return, you've got to return. Um, but I can't just turn around and buy another Aaron Holiday Optic Gold. There's only 10 of them. You know, some of them are locked into collections already. Or, you know, I don't want to pay a PSA 10 premium when I would be happy with, you know, a 9, right? So I did something that I know a lot of sellers don't like. And I asked for a partial refund. So I figured, you know what, he's going to get this card back and have to list it again. Maybe he'd prefer to save himself the hassle since he was the one that listed it irresponsibly in the first place. Well, no such luck. He said, uh, do you need me to send you a label for the full return? And after a lot of thought and uh, messaging some of my friends multiple times, so I'm sorry if I badgered you about this card. I was just really <laughs> upset about it and torn about what to do, but um, I ended up going with the full refund. So um, it, it was tough, though. I want this card bad enough that I considered keeping a damaged copy, but you know what? It was the principle of the whole thing, and I, and I know every time I looked at my binder, I, it, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be happy to own it. I would be more or less just soured from this experience, so... Um, the way they listed this thing wasn't right. So anyway, I talked with a friend about it and he said I should take a chance and see if I can win it for less when it's relisted. So I might do that and keep it as a placeholder if I can't ever find another one. We'll see though. You know, I don't want to pay more for it. Uh, so I'm interested to see if he's going to list the damage the second time around. From the examples I've seen in the past, I, I would say that um, he's not going to cite that damage. I think I've seen a damaged Jason Kidd card listed like six or seven times. But you can't win them all. Life goes on. I was bummed out about it, but, you know, what can you do? I've told plenty of stories on here before about how things can turn out in the long run. You can't always look at things from the perspective of one day or one week or even one month. Um, this is a long-term hobby. So I just have to trust, you know, hopefully I'll see another one come up at some point. Maybe that's the case here. Who knows? All right, well, before I talk about this past weekend's card show experience, I want to take a moment to tell you a little about Fanatics. As you guys know, there are costs that go into running a podcast, so I have signed up for the Fanatics affiliate program. Several of you have already purchased items using my link. Thank you. That means a lot. I'm still rocking my Pacers mask that I bought about a month ago. But whatever NBA gear you're looking for, there's a good chance that Fanatics has it. So if you'd like to help support the show in this way, Go to www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod and click the Fanatics logo at the top. Shop as planned 
and the Wax Museum podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.tinyurl.com slash WMPod. Okay, so let's talk card shows again. And I know, you know, it hasn't been long ago that I talked about a card show. And in fact, um, it was episode 78. I talked to about one that I went to here in Florida. I talked about a big trade that I made there. I talked about a, a big PC card I picked up, a Topps Chrome card, which by the way, I've seen like four or five people this week on Facebook. Hey, what happened to that Topps Chrome set? Thank you to those of you that said, Check out the Wax Museum podcast, episode 78. He talks all about it. Thank you to those of you that are spreading the word, that are trying to get information out. That's what I want to do. I want to get information to people that want it. Okay? Um, So anyway, it it wasn't long ago that I talked about a card show, but shortly after that one came out, an Instagram user whose handle is Cardboard Capitalist posted a couple of good comments on my page, and um, I thought they were worth responding to, but there was a lot to unpack. So I'm going to read them for you here first, and then um, that's what I'm going to try and do. So he said, I would be interested to hear what insights you can pick up about the hobby in a live show setting that are unavailable online. I've been going to the White Plains shows for decades, and I'm always struck by the massive amount of supply, both in variety and sheer population of, well, almost everything. That's different from what a new collector or investor might perceive with a daily appetite of filtered search results that can make the industry seem smaller than it really is. And then he continued in another post. I also wonder how behavior at live shows has changed since our current boom. An obvious impact on the hobby has been the rampant grading of modern cards, many of which are plentiful and inexpensive raw. Now that they command ungodly premiums for being granted mint grades, Are there more people pulling out magnifiers to carefully scan not just one or two cards on their traditional collector's want list, but just about anything on the table? Okay, so like I said, there's a lot to unpack there. He talked about behavior at card shows. Boy, do I have uh, some stuff for you today. I'm not even sure I can go through all of this in linear fashion, but I thought it was a really good topic request And at the same time, maybe it could serve as a sort of, um, I don't know, an oral history for the future. Because a lot of people will talk about 2020 in the future. And you guys will be the fact checkers because you lived it, right? You lived through this hobby in 2020. Um, But it might be nice to actually hear an account of a card show from 2020 that was recorded at that time. That's not influenced by things that happen afterward. So, um that's what I'm going to, to attempt to do today. Doesn't mean that my experience represents the entire collecting world or the hobby as a whole, but I'd like to tackle this series of questions from the way I see things. Okay, so a little bit of context here. This is a show that I've attended three months in a row now. The second time that I attended, I, I actually set up, but only on the second day, which was supposedly a slower day. A friend had an opening for me. Uh, I did really well partially because I was selling a lot of raw stuff and and people were looking to grade it and profit. But otherwise, when I've gone to this show, I've just been a customer. So I have gone three straight weeks of being a customer as well. And this thing just gets bigger every time I go. In July, there were 80 tables. Um, There were 80 tables in August, but more foot traffic. 
And then I think they upped it to 100 tables for this month. And even then, there's a waiting list for dealers. And now that there are nearly 100 tables walking the floor, um, there was really no such thing as social distancing. Um, You know, I would say there wasn't when there was 80 tables either, but it's hard not to bump into people, but at least they're wearing masks and there's hand sanitizer all over the place. So there is some attempt to um, be responsible in in that regard. But, um, you know, what was my purpose heading to this show? I didn't really have a target like I I have in the past. You know, at the last show, I'm like, I got to find an Oscar Robertson rookie. I got that. Um, my general approach, though, was the same. I'm going to go looking for PC cards, you know, go looking for the unexpected. I'll try to make a lap around the outside first to scope things out, and then I'll weave in and out of the inside tables. Um, some tables, though, this time, they had so many people at them that I couldn't even get in the first time around. But as I made my way around, though, there were a number of things I saw. Um, so what did I see? Okay. One thing that really stood out to me at this particular show was the caliber of cards that showed up compared to last month. And don't get me wrong, there were plenty of high dollar cards there last month, but it was a lot of the same type of stuff. And if you're the kind of guy that gets the meat sweats thinking about a stack of Luca prism slabs, you're still going to need to bring a change of shirt because that stuff was there again this month. Uh, but things were definitely at another level when it came to variety of high dollar stuff. I saw a handful of Jordan rookies. Okay? And, and yes, you know what? People ask me, are Jordan rookies rare? No, I don't think so. You know, go to the national, you'll see them all over the place. Um, so while they're super plentiful though, I never see them at local shows. You don't see those come out at certain shows. Um, I saw a lot more Kareem rookie cards, which is something I haven't seen a lot in the past. And trust me, I've been looking. I was shopping for a Kareem since at least January and and doing some window shopping prior to that. Um, I saw a Wilt Chamberlain BVG 7.5 rookie. And these aren't typical cards for this show. So, you know, that had my attention. I saw a Zion Illusions Draft Night Auto numbered to 32 which I thought was pretty cool. It's it's the continuation of the status set that I talked about on last week's episode. I saw an Anthony Davis Immaculate RPA. I saw a Giannis Immaculate RPA. Um, that's, and then that same Giannis table probably had another ten dollars or $20,000 in Giannis cards. Maybe even more than that. I don't know. I really don't know what his high-end stuff goes for now. Uh, you know, In fact, it kind of looked similar to the table that he had set up at his own house. Um now, you know, out of those things that I just listed, aside from the Zion Auto, which anyone could have pulled out of retail out of Illusions, um, this influx of nice, high-end stuff tells me a couple of things. Number one, people are traveling to this show from far away. And then number two, which could be, um, I guess really these are related, but people are fed up with eBay. And in fact, I talked to several people who said selling basketball on eBay right now is impossible because of the reactionary nature of the market. And, you know, we knew that you could you could gather that from looking online, but it was something else to hear it from people that, um, you know, actively are seeking other places to sell this stuff. And the truth of the matter is there's a lot of dishonest people out there that are basically prospecting for free. So let's say, you know, there's four teams left in the playoffs. They decide they're going to buy up a bunch of cards from all four 
And whenever something doesn't go their way, there's plenty of time. And eBay lets them return without any major pushback, even if as a seller you've labeled your stuff no returns. And I had a couple of other people tell me that they think people are doing this to establish comps. And, you know, I've heard that before. Um, but the idea is that they'll, you know, people that are that own these cards will have friends or alternate accounts where they bid up similar cards and then they don't pay for them. So just be careful. And that's why it's also important if, if you're using any sort of price tracking tool, uh, be sure that that tool is able to differentiate what items are actually paid for and which ones aren't. Um, I know that there are people out there that are trying really hard to do a good job with that and to um, you know, get that data to where it's correct. In the past, though, I've seen some people that are just scraping information from eBay. So just be careful what you use. I don't have, you know, I'm not going to tell you one over the other. That's not really something that I'm involved with. But uh, be cautious of those people and those tools. So um, I know people are looking for alternatives to eBay. And there, there are definitely other options. But we also have to think about, you know, we don't have anything close to the size, the reach, and the functionality of it right now. So it's a shame that, you know, it, it's hard to just leave eBay. It's a shame that we're seeing more and more of this because uh, honest collectors and honest investors are both going to be the ones paying the price. Um, now, because you had uh, bigger dealers or high-end dealers coming from long distances and, and there were higher profile cards, I noticed that in some cases the interactions were much different. And when I set up a table at any show, and granted, I'm not a big-time dealer, right? But I do try and set up at a, a small show. Um, I try to greet every customer. I don't want to overwhelm them with conversation. You know, just it's a social interaction. You just gauge what's going on and, and act accordingly. But I do want them to be comfortable enough to engage me if they have any questions. I feel like that's a good business strategy. But I also feel like it's just a humane thing to do. Card shows should not be all about monetary transactions well there are some people with some really nice cards that don't always see things that way and what's interesting to me is that one particular seller that was at this show is very aggressive on instagram it's the kind of person that'll post a christmas tree build out of prison blasters in fact this person has sent me unsolicited messages in the past to advertise one of their breaks which I don't really join breaks. So I called him out for his spam then. Um, and you know, I know 100 people are going to message me asking if it was Investicard. No, it was not Eddie. Okay, But anyway, at this show, I walked up to this person's table to see what cards he had. And um, I think he might have had someone watching the table for him. It wasn't the same person that I saw posing with the Christmas tree normally. Whoever was there, whoever was representing him in this moment, the dude couldn't be bothered to look up from his phone and even make eye contact. In fact, they probably had to ice his neck in the car on the way home. Uh, but rest assured, all of these non-social types have cool logos plastered all over their own custom table skirts to let you know where you can find them on social media. I'll let that sink in for a second. Um, I mentioned some of the Luca and Zion stuff already. So what else were people selling at this show? Uh, last month, every dealer seemed to have rows and rows of optic and mosaic stuff, all of your favorite shiny stuff. 
um, all of the low-end parallels, the greens and so forth, of the scrub rookies and the non-stars. I kind of I call that licking your wounds, right? We all know what that was. Uh, this month, a lot of that was now replaced by tons and tons of chronicles and illusions, opened and unopened. And I, I figure some of it moved at some point during the weekend, but when I was there, I didn't see a single person buy any unopened chronicles or illusions. Um, and other than you know the experience of breaking, what's the point? If you just want the cards, you could buy you know a lot of those Zion and Jaw hits for cheaper than these guys were charging for retail wax. Um, another observation that I want to touch some on is one that really doesn't surprise me, but that's the fact that graded is king. And even when people were buying raw, it seemed like it was for the sole purpose of grading. I know at one point I, I was trying to get to a $2 box that I wanted to look through and I got stuck behind a couple of 20-somethings. They were picking through it hard. They had cards everywhere. Um, they had a huge stack pulled out. They were looking up every card on eBay at the table one at a time. You know, One of them turned to the other with a Jonathan Isaac optic base rookie. Is Jonathan Isaac any good? Hey, that's that's the kind of questions I was hearing as they were going through it. And you know what? I know I know there's a learning curve, and I know it's okay to ask questions. If that's how they enjoy the hobby, more power to them. Uh, I just worry for them because I hope it doesn't burn them out in the long run. I think that kind of stuff's exhausting to me. But uh, that might that might be energizing to them. Okay, I'm just trying to give you a picture of the things that I'm seeing frequently. Um, now, another thing though, I saw this was last month. I saw some idiot wearing a headlamp looking like he was stuck in a mine. Um, you know, I will have to say, though, it was entertaining. So that you've got that crowd of people looking at raw cards. Um, but then, yes, there are people looking for graded cards. And it's still kind of wild to me that there's so much emphasis and reliance on this industry that's so incompetent and unreliable. You know, people are clearly frustrated with grading, but people keep pouring money into graded cards even if they're you know it's it's just it's strange to me but you know what I guess I'm buying some slab cards too so it is what it is but it makes me wonder if we're ever going to see any major shift in strategy or if it's still going to be grading cards full steam ahead I, I know some of these companies are making changes so it all really relies on them but I did see some things at this show though that indicated people were trying something different at least when it comes to grading. And I'll preface this by saying, I've seen a small amount of GMA stuff in the past. I was going to tell you what that company's name stands for. I looked all over their website. I couldn't find it. Maybe I'm just overlooking it. Um, but they are a really small operation out of Florida that used to grade cards for $3 a piece. I think they're up to $5 now. And I know I've poked fun at them a little on the show before. I, I think I called them expensive top loaders. It probably wasn't fair. Um, although I do have a friend that says GMA stands for Garage Made Authentication. But uh, truth be told, I can't really fault this company. It looks like they take care of people. Uh, they're cheap. Uh, they're not trying to pull a big bait and switch like some companies. Um you know, personally, I don't plan on sending anything in to them. I'm not super excited about buying their slabs unless it's cheaper than a raw card that I wanted so I could just crack it out. I don't have a lot of faith in what they can bring on the secondary market. Um, 
but I, I said all that about GMA to say that I'm seeing a lot more GMA slabs at this show. Um, there was one dealer that had just boxes and boxes full of basketball rookies in GMA slabs. And um, so after going to this show, and even from things I've seen on places like Facebook and Reddit, I can assure you that some people are definitely making a switch. Maybe it's because it's cheaper. Maybe it's because they get it back quicker. Um, you know, personally, I think that they're probably just trying to get cards encased for cheap, knowing that a lot of people are new in the hobby. They don't know a lot about the different grading companies, and you know, maybe they'll just see that number and they'll just buy it for the label. I've seen a lot of random slabs lately, though. All right, as I close this thing out today, I, I hope there was some continuity and some flow to all of that. I hope I was able to tackle this user's question. Like I said, there was a lot to unpack. If I sounded agitated at points, don't take that too seriously. The characters and antics at these shows are, are part of what makes them so enjoyable. And uh, some of the stuff I had to mention, though. And another one real quick, I, I didn't see it while I was there, but I saw a video on social media of a guy walking around with what was basically a body cam. He had his phone strapped around his neck and he was showing people inventory. He was streaming um, his, his line of sight at the show and negotiating sales for people online for a small fee, which was pretty wild. I, I never thought I'd see that. Kudos to that guy. There is never a dull moment in Florida. Um, this show was something that I'd been looking forward to all week. It didn't disappoint. Some of my hobby friends were there. Um, it adds another element to the hunt for cards. There's, Like I said, there's a lot of character. There's a lot going on. Overall, it was just a really good time. And I hope some of you that are without shows right now were able to live vicariously through me again. Others of you, you might have shows. Maybe you see a lot of the same stuff. Maybe your shows are different. Let me know on social media. Uh, my Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast. And yes, I'm still in Instagram jail for some reason. Let me out, please. Um, or you can find me on Twitter where I do have a little more functionality right now. And that is at Wax Museum PC. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. Shop through my Fanatics link and I'll get a small cut. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.